0: you've got your word, turn to uh, Psalms chapter 1, Yes, yeah, Psalms chapter 1, not Judges, and uh, you'll see why in a little bit. I believe God's doing a deep work in this fellowship, just talking conversations. I think God is really digging in and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, doing a deep work in the hearts and the minds of people, and I believe it's because we have focused in on the word. Dating back to last August when we started the CLF core class, which we'll... Go through again this coming August, um, and making the Word of God a point of emphasis, not only in our sermons and our services, just but as a leadership, as as a church, focusing on looking at the Word of God as the chief focus of all we do. Not CLF, not the services, not even the people, but making the Word of God our focus. And I think that's caused us as a fellowship to truly. Uh, change the way we think about God, change the way we think about a relationship with God and how we approach Him. And I think it's starting to do a deep work in, our, uh, in the lives of this fellowship. And I pray that if you're not one of those, dig into God's Word. We still have a copies of the story in the back that you can go through, that you can join in. Don't let a miss week or a couple miss weeks um, rob you from digging into God's Word and joining along with us. There's nothing quite like the unity of the body of Christ when we are all searching after God together and digging into his word together. Amen? All right, so yes, we're going to talk about Judges this morning. We're going to watch a video in a second. But I wanted to uh, read Psalms chapter 1 because I believe God has placed principles inside of his creation. He has told us over and over and over again what some of those principles are. And so as we approach uh, Judges, I want to I keep things in perspective of who God has called us to be and some of the principles he has for us. And uh, for those who may not know CLF, if you've seen all of our logos of everything, um, you'll see a tree. And that tree comes out of Psalms chapter 1, because this is the heart and soul that Pastor Mark started CLF with. So let's read Psalms chapter 1 together. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinner nor sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and his law he meditates day and night he will be like a tree firmly planted on or excuse me by streams of water yet which yield its fruit in its season and its leaves do not wither and in whatever he does he prospers the wicked are not so but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord God, I come to you today, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that this morning you have gathered this group of people together in this place to hear this message, to make us more like you, Father. There is something inside of us, God, that is not pleasing to you that you would want to purify, you want to pull out so that we can better represent you in the world around us, Father. So this morning, I pray that your word illuminates those things in our hearts so that we can become more like you today. We love you. We thank you, Lord God. Well, three straight generations, the people of Israel saw the miraculous hand of God, right? Three straight generations. And yet, all of a sudden, we get into Judges, and there's a period of time to where these people didn't see God. They didn't see the miracles of God. They got comfortable in the life that they had. They weren't uncomfortable. But the law of the Lord turned from the people doing it out of a reverence, out of a, a grateful heart, because they saw what God had did, what it had done for the people, and all of a sudden the law of the Lord turned mundane. It turned into something you do, kind of like you go to church on Sunday in America. That's what you do, at least we did in my generation growing up. That's what you do. It's not out of a place of gratitude. It may not be out of a place of uh, thankfulness. It's, it's out of something you do. And that's what the law of the Lord had turned into for the judges or during this period of Israel's history. And I really want to focus in on this, this verse. And the last sermon I did on Moses, God really laid on my heart, and this is just apparently a theme that God has placed on my heart is, I want to read God's word to see who he is. It's very easy to approach God's word and say, what is God speaking to me? Instead of looking to see who God is in his word, right? Like, I mean, the word of God reveals who God is. And in the process, he shows us how we, he designed us to live because we're created in his image, Right? And so this morning, I don't want to just focus in on, hey, here's just the things we can learn from Judges. I want to see who God is in the midst of a tragedy. Because some people in this room have gone through tragedy in their life. And even in tragedy, even in mistakes, even in screw-ups, God is still at work. His faithfulness, His assurance, who He is, doesn't change based on our bad decisions. And here's what's unique about Judges is all the tragedy that happens in Judges is a result of people's bad choices. Israel came into slavery not because of their bad choices. Right? What happened in Egypt? Joseph came over with his sons, or not Joseph, uh, Jacob came over with his sons, planted his whole family, evil emperor came up in Egypt and made them all slaves. Right? Well, in Judges... This is not a story of God's redemption in the middle of, you know, hard circumstances. Everything that happened in Judges is a result that people forgot who God was. They forgot his word. And so when we read this, we're not just reading a redemptive story of God's love, and we're reading God allowing people to suffer the consequences of their own bad decisions and bad choices. And this one passage really stuck out to me. It was actually this morning I added this. Judges 21, verse 25, it's not even on the screen because I literally added it this morning. The last verse of the entire book of Judges, and if you read the whole book, you read judge after judge, you get Samson, you get Deborah, you get all of these different uh, judges and God's redemption and fallen and all this tragedy. At the very end, there's a verse that ties into the next book of Ruth. Judges 21, 25 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right. In his own eyes. Doesn't that kind of describe what we read and see when we look up news in America today? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and I feel like that's our culture today. I feel like we we're in a culture that whatever I think is right is right, even if it disagrees. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. It's just the feeling I have in our culture. So. I want to really look at what is God in the middle of this culture to where everyone was doing things whatever they felt was right. Okay? So the first thing, there's three main people that we really focused in on when we read through the story this week. The first one was Deborah. And her story begins in Judges chapter 4, and it says, "...the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And after Ehud died, Ehud was the judge before..." And the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was, that word, who lived in that place. How do you like that interpretation? The son of Israel, the sons of Israel, cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he opposed the son of Israel severely for 20 years. So this tragedy takes place with this people called Israel. Why was Israel special? Why were they unique? Why, why did God allow them to be sold into slavery in and, and this? It, it almost feels like God was more harsh to the people of Israel. Maybe I'm the only one that read that, but when I read that, I'm like, man, like God, you're supposed to be the savior here. You're supposed to take care of your people. You're supposed to awaken them to their problems. You're supposed to help them realize who they are like you're supposed to love these people, right? Like when we give our heart to God, don't we think, God, you're going to love me now. You're going to take care of me now, right? But we have to understand that Israel was God's people. He put his name on these people. He called them my people. And these people of Israel carried the name of Yahweh with them wherever they went. So therefore, when they went into Canaan, they were carrying the name of Yahweh with them. And so when they chose to let their actions and their focus representing God's name to the culture around them be influenced, and all of a sudden their actions do not line up with God's word, you're taking the name of God with a sinful lifestyle. That is not something God can simply allow to happen. When we represent God in our culture today, we need to understand, first of all, that God will not allow us to continue to live a lifestyle that represents him poorly and get away with it. We represent the name of God wherever we go in our culture When you put that Begin, Belong, Become shirt on, what's across the back? Christian Life Fellowship in Calera, Alabama. You represent Christian Life Fellowship when you wear that shirt to the thrift store, whether you wear it to a restaurant, wherever you go in Calera, in Montevallo, in Alabaster, you represent this church. And let me tell you something. If I see that shirt on someone who is representing poorly, I will call them out on it because I don't want their bad actions to represent me poorly. Is anybody else like that? I mean, can you just can't stand like when you're working for a company, and that company, like you wear the same shirt, and someone's just being a, you know what? And you're like, dude, come on, man, you're representing me here. How angry was God when all of a sudden these people started worshiping idols and sacrificing their kids on the the altars of false gods? So the first thing we have to understand is God will allow us to suffer the consequences when we represent his name poorly. He's not just going to swoop in and rescue us from every bad circumstance that we have when we represent him poorly into the world around us. He's told us how to represent him. He wrote it in this. He wrote this, not man. He did. So Deborah, the people of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Deborah's actually the third judge that we read about in Judges. She wasn't the first. So this is literally the third time God has had to rescue these people. Third time. Has anybody ever had one of those days? I'm like, I can't believe I'm taking this before God again and having to ask forgiveness for this again. I can't believe I screwed up again. I can't believe I'm not sober again. This is the third straight time that God said, fine, I'll bring a judge in to save you. They save him, and he goes back and does the same cotton-picking thing again. So we're not the only ones, Cindy. God knows how it feels, too. And I'll tell you, that's one of the hardest parts of church leadership is seeing people come into a relationship with God, get their life transformed and turned around, and you go, awesome. Awesome. And then they go back and do the same thing again. You want to just, mmm. But then I get to read Judges, and I read something about God. And when I read the story of Deborah, and for those who don't know this story, let me recap really quick. Deborah was a judge. She was a lady. She used to judge the people. She would sit under a tree. The people would come, and she would decipher things one way or the other. And uh, this guy named Barak came out. And God called Barak to lead the people against their captors, and bring salvation to Israel. Well, Barak said, I'm not going to go unless the prophetess Deborah goes with me. And all of a sudden, Deborah says, fine, I'll go with you, but the victory will not be yours. It'll be handed in the hands of a woman. In that culture, (laughs) that didn't happen. So these people came into battle. The battle was won. It went very successful, except the king of the captors ran off. And all of a sudden, he ran into a tent of this lady, and this lady, she went, you know what? It's okay. I'll hide you. Come over here, lay down, covered him with a blanket, gave him some warm milk, and then drove a tent peg straight through his head and into the ground. Yeah, Judges is bloody. Like, if y'all haven't read it, I'm telling you, like, this is some intense stuff. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I don't know why. It stuck with me all these years. I remember hearing it when I was a little kid. It's just stuck with me. She goes out and says, hey, I got your king right here. And they walk in, and this dude's head's in the ground with the tent peg. And we're not talking those little ones you buy in the little pup tents, man. We're talking, you know, Buffy pegs here, okay? Wow. <laughs> Pulled that one out of nowhere. <laughs> but look, and so in the middle of their sin, in the middle of their crying out to God, and after four, three straight times, they're still, God still cares enough to listen to them, and God still chooses to save him. But he still calls people to do that. See, God can and wants to save you no matter how bad you've messed up. And that's one of the things I love about Judges is I can look at it and go, these people were stupid. They were screw-ups over and over and over and over and over again. And God still chose to listen and chose to give them an opportunity to come back. That's who God is. God is the one that called them back. They didn't come to the realization and go, you know what? We've forgotten God. And so therefore, let's go to battle and make these things right. (laughs) They came to realization, go, we've forgotten God. God, help us. God, listen. And then God called them, and then God won the victory for them. That shows us who God is, not how good we are. And even in the middle of our depravity, God still desires to hear you call and is waiting for us to turn. But sometimes he puts us into the slavery of our own addictions, the slavery of our own circumstances, the slavery of our own relationships to go, you listening yet? Because God loves us that much. Because sometimes we are too arrogant to listen to the first time. And when things are going so good, we forget God. And that's where our downfall starts. We see it over and over again. God desires to save us. God desires to see your life renewed and refreshed through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has called you to be in Christ. That's who God is. And we see that in the story of Deborah. The second story we see is the story of Gideon. Gideon's an interesting story. Because as I started putting this together, I was, you know, you have this mindset. You always think you know who somebody is growing up, right? You think you know this story because you've heard it so many times. You've read it in Bible stories, at least in my life. And one of the things that uh, I always knew Gideon was a coward, but I, knew, I saw it in a new way this time. Because how many times in your life have you knew, have you known what to do and you do everything you can to try to get out of it? I mean, honestly, anybody with kids knows, knows this happens, you know. Go brush your teeth. I will when I finish this drink. (laughs) Yeah, Parents laugh because you know. But we do the same thing, don't we? Oh, I'll do that after I catch up on this bill. I'm I'm a little behind, so I'll give to the pantry after I catch up on this bill. Or you know what? I'll talk to them the next time I see them. I'm kind of running behind. I've got to get to work today. I've got to get home to do this. So I'll, I'll talk to them about Jesus next time. We try to get out, and we'll try to throw up excuses to get out of what God has called us to do. Gideon was the same way. What do we read? Okay, first of all, the angel of the Lord came and said, I'm going to use you, one man, to go deliver the people. What did he say? I don't believe you. So you you know what? You stay right here, and I'll be right back. And if you're back, when I get back, if you're here, when I get back, then, then I'll listen to you, right? So what does he do? He goes out and has a barbecue. He goes out and prepares a meal. He, he, he gathers this and that. And we may think, oh, he did this all quick. I, just the way I think, Gideon took his time. I think Gideon went, you know, I think this cattle's probably not good enough. Let me go across town to get that other one. That'll give me another, you know, couple hours. And then he probably wants this well done, not medium. So let me make sure this gets, you know, cooked a little bit more. And, you know, this wine's not really the best. Let me call my servant to go across to that other town and get the vintage. It's a few years, you know, later. Let me get that one and bring it back. Okay, we got everything. Maybe he's gone. And I think just reading the story of the character of who Gideon was, that's almost the way I think that he was. He was always trying to get out of it. And so what happens? He brings the food, kind of peeks around the corner. He's still here. So Gideon brings these food, and the the guy says, put it right there. The angel of the Lord says, put it there, pour the drink over it, and he burned it up, and it was gone. And Gideon knew it was a God thing. Okay, well, I got to go. What did he do next? The army's here. God told him what to do, and what did Gideon say? Well, I'm going to put a fleece out on the ground, and if it's wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know it's from God, then I'll go do what you want me to do. Next morning, God did it. Perfect. Well, God, don't, don't... I believe you in everything, but let's try this: let the ground be wet and let the fleece be dry. Then I'll go. God did it. Okay. Well, maybe if I can get the biggest army I can—ten thousand men—we can handle this with ten thousand men. Gideon kind of pumps himself up. God says he's got too many men. Get rid of them. So twenty thousand left. Right? Whew. Okay, we got this. We, you know. Gideon's kind of planning in his head. God says, You still got too many men. Get out. And I think God was wind- windling it down to help Gideon understood, understand, this isn't about you. This is about me. This is not about you. This is about me. And when I read the story of Gideon, it's so clear to me that Gideon was so unprepared for what God had called him to do. He was a coward. Do you want to follow a coward into battle? He was unprepared. He was from the smallest tribe of the smallest people, and he was so scared that he was trying to get wheat, trying to prepare wheat, hiding out from the Midians. Because you've got to understand, the Midianites during that time, all right, let me just imagine that you are tight on money. And most of us, it's not hard to imagine. Imagine you're really tight on money, and you have a set grocery budget for you and your entire family. Say you have $300 for a month. I don't know what you spend. Maybe it's four, maybe it's two. I don't know. Say you have $300 for an entire month. You go out to Walmart and you buy $299.93 worth of groceries. And you know those groceries have to last you the entire month. There is no no second paycheck, it has to last you the entire month. So you are prepared. You spent every last penny. Well, actually, you have seven cents left over. But you spent everything and you bring it home. You put everything in the shelves. You go to bed, and somebody breaks into your house while you're asleep, steals every single thing in your grocery cabinet. How would you feel? That was seven years, what, seven or 20? I think it was at least seven years of the life of Israel. They would have crops. They would, the crops would come in. Midians would come in and wipe out their entire crops, take it all away. And they're left looking at a field. And when you're harvesting a field, when you harvest wheat, it doesn't grow back a week later. Could you imagine the hopelessness and the deprivation they felt in that moment of, how are we going to survive? How are we going to eat? Forget a month. This was years of this. And in that moment, God called Gideon, the coward, and said, I know you're unprepared. I know you're, you don't deserve this. And I know you're undermanned. But that's who God calls. That's who God is. God calls the undermanned. He calls the unprepared. He calls the undeserved. And let me just tell you, God doesn't look at your bank account to see if you deserve something, to see if you're worthy of the calling he's called you to. He looks at the heart and says, are you willing to obey what I've commanded you and carry it out? Why did he, never, why did he have to call Gideon? Because there was 11 other tribes who he knew if he called, they wouldn't obey he wouldn't go. It took somebody from the lowest tribe. It took somebody who was undeserved, who was unprepared, who was undermanned. That's who God called. Why? Because that's the person who would obey. And I think too many times that we let who we are and our circumstances stop us from being who God's called us to be because we think it's about us. It's not. This is, this is what this is about. God hasn't called you to be some special person in America having this paycheck or that job. He's called you to this. He's called you to His Word. He's called you to His commandments. Your job means nothing when it comes to what God has called you to do. Whether you're shoveling poop or whether you're on top of a penthouse, it doesn't matter. What matters is, are you obeying the commands of God? What does Jesus say in John 14? He said, those who love me will obey my commands. And Israel was in that place of Midian because they did not obey. But Gideon did. But remember, Judges is a tragedy. And one of the things that I hope we realize when you read this is that when you get away from focusing and remembering who God is, you allow sin to start ruling in your life again. Finish the story of Gideon. You'll see a man who was overcome with anger, who murdered his own people because they refused to go into battle with him. And you read about a man who took the gold and spoils from his victory and made an idol that the people of God ended up turning and worshiping instead of the true God. He let the victory God gave him become the stumbling block for his entire people. Have we allowed the victory that God has given us, the sobriety that God has given us, to become a stumbling block to ourselves and our families and those around us? Where did that come from? (laughs) God wants to use you to bring salvation to other people. Guys, this this is not about us, man. This is about the people who need Jesus. This world is looking for hope. Watch the news. Read the paper. There's hopelessness ruling our culture. And they have nowhere to turn They're ruled by their own desires. They did what was right in their eyes. And they go to bed every night wishing that there was hope. And we have it. And what are we doing with it? Are we turning it to our own little idols that we worship? Samson. The third story, and he, to me, is one of the most tragic of all. Samson is an incredible story. Samson is the heart of Chris, our youth pastor. His story is one reason that he may not know this, but when I read this, this is who I thought about. Samson is the story of the teenager Chris Craft is trying to save. Because Samson is the golden case of unused and unmet potential. Think about it. What kind of potential would Samson have in the life of, of, of the entire nation of Israel? not just in his family, not just in his local church body, but in the entire nation. This was a man who had unlimited strength, who we see some of the victories that Samson won over and over and over again. And yet, what did he do with his life? He focused on himself. He used his strength for revenge. He used his strength to win battles for himself and he was a man of zero integrity. And when I came in this morning, I stopped Bill Tornator and I said, I, I want you to know that when I read Samson, you're one of the people that came to my mind because Bill Tornator is one of the most, one of the guys with the most integrity and character I've ever met. Anybody who's known Bill for a while knows that. Samson is the antithesis of that. He didn't have integrity. He didn't have character. And he used what God had given him as his strength for his own selfish purposes and desires. And it, uh, it eats at me, because when I think about it, I go, God, he was, he was not following what you called him to do. He wasn't living the life of the Nazarene like he was supposed to. Yes, he didn't cut his hair, but at the same time, he wasn't supposed to touch dead animals, and yet he killed the lion, came back later, and ate honey out of the dead animal. Why, why, why did God still use him? When I read that story, I think, God, it's not right. Why did you still use Samson to bring victory? Why did you still use Samson to torment the Philistines? Because he didn't deserve it. Did he? What does that tell you about God? It tells you that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You don't have to be perfect to do what God's called you to do. Your past doesn't disqualify you. Now, I want you to hear me this. God does not endorse sin. He's not okay with you living in a life of sin. And Samson paid the consequences long term of his poor life choices. One of the things I've learned from Mark Davis is you don't know the end of the story right? That can be good and bad. And in Samson's case, it was a very bad thing, because you don't know that all of those choices, that the lack of integrity, finally caught up to him, right? So I want you to understand that God is not endorsing sin in the life of Samson, but I also believe God helps us understand that he uses broken people who aren't perfect. And I don't know who you are, in your life and I don't know your past I don't know where you're at today but you need to hear God uses broken people. You don't have to clean yourself up and become perfect before God can use you when you walk out those doors to represent Him. You don't have to be perfect. You need to be made new. You need to be in Christ but you don't have to be perfect. God doesn't need you perfect. God didn't need... 10,000, 20,000 soldiers. He needed somebody who was sensitive, who would listen, and who would obey when he called. And God uses imperfect people. That's who God is. You know, as I was preparing this, I didn't really know where God was going to take this. But after I talked to Mark for a little bit, I did realize something. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, Which reads, bad company corrupts good morals. How, and I want you to think about this. Just think about this for a second. How different would Samson's life and the legacy that we read in Judges, how different would he be if he had stayed connected, stayed in God's word, obeyed it, and stayed around good community who would challenge him to live this out. What community do he surround himself with? Women who didn't exactly uh, share his conviction, not that he had any. And I think we need to understand twofold. First of all, getting into relationships with people who do not share and challenge our relationship with God, first of all, is dangerous and stupid. Secondly, when you do not maintain Authority in your life that can speak into you and call you out, you're going to walk down a road and one day it will bite you. Who did Samson listen to? Who did Samson have feeding into him? Delilah, right? Do we ever read Samson listening to authority? Read a story. We don't have an outline anywhere that Samson had godly men speaking into his life. Reading his story, I'm pretty sure that he may have had them, but he wouldn't listen because he was so arrogant and prideful. And I think one of the things that the tragedies we need to understand is that we cannot afford to do this on our own. We can't because the enemy will do everything he possibly can to distract you and destroy you. And one of the number one ways we see that happening from front cover to back cover is using relationships with people who do not share those same convictions with us. And I'm telling you guys, this is one of the main keys to our one another groups. Like we don't have one another group so we can just build a church. We don't have one another groups just to make disciples. We don't just have one another group so it sounds cool. We have one another groups because we can't do this on our own. And when we do try to do it on our own, we end up stumbling, we end up destructive, and just like Samson's life, we end up in a prison somewhere, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally. Blind. Because we do not keep and surround ourselves with people who will call us out and go, dude, you're going down a bad path here. One another other groups is not just a hangout club. And I know that I'm supposed to be directing these things, so therefore... I need to promote it. This is not just a promotion for one another group. This is a cry from a pastor to a congregation saying, you cannot do this on your own. Don't try. Because the only thing I can figure out, the only reason that I can figure out that people are trying to do this on their own is one of two things. Either you're too broken and hurt that you don't want to get hurt again, or you're too arrogant that you think that you can do it on your own. I don't want to be either of those things. Because I've seen what my line of thinking gets me. And it's a really nasty, ugly place. I need Mark Davis in my life. I need a Sean Gregory in my life. So when I don't have those speaking into me, I listen to myself. And he's an idiot. We all know someone whose life has taken a destructive turn because they chose a man or a woman who didn't share their convictions. We all know those people. But yet we also know the people who started down a path in a relationship with good intentions, but a lack of accountability, they fell into sin and destruction. We need to hold each other accountable. And when I look at the life of Samson, when I look at Judges, we need somebody going, hey, does that, is your life lining up with this? And I hope and I pray that I have allowed people to speak into my life. And I hope I continue to. I'm telling all y'all, Mark, I hope you speak into my life. Sean, I hope you speak into my life. Mark, I hope you speak into my life. Cliff, I hope you speak into my life. Steve. Ed. I hope y'all call me out if you see me doing something wrong. Do you know people around here? Do you know men and women of God who you can look at and say the same two thing to this morning? That's why we have one another groups, guys. That's why we need each other. You know, it's funny as I, I wanted to put this together and I was like, man, I, you know, I really enjoyed the last sermon because I, I felt like it was coming out of a place of love and I prayed this morning's does the same thing. You know what? Turn to Acts 2. This is my battle cry right now. This is the heart behind one another groups this is the heart behind why we have church acts 242 this is the first church we read about getting together it says they were continually devoting if you have if you have a pen or a highlighter i would love you to circle the word devoting or highlight it or underline it they were continually devoting Continually nonstop all the time. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's four things they said. They were continually devoting themselves to. Those four things are the heart behind one another groups we try to apply all the time. Why do we need those things? Why do we preach those things? Why do we announce one another groups on the every week? Just so we can be cool and have small groups like every other church? No! Because this is the Word of God. This is what He's called us to do. He said, devote yourself to one another. The world will see me, Jesus, through the way you love one another. That's how we see, show Jesus to the world around us is we love one another. How do we do that? We continually devote one, devote to each other, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to praying for one another. When's the last time you sat down with somebody, grabbed their hands and prayed with them on a continually devoted basis. Does anybody know the Lord's Prayer? What's the first word of our Lord's Prayer? How many times have you prayed personally to God the Lord's Prayer? How many times have you corporately prayed the Lord's Prayer together? What's the first word? Is it I? Is it me? It's us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us these trespasses. So even in prayer, God said, pray like this. He said, pray it in a corporate manner. He understood we need each other. Judges 3, 7. I want you to see a pattern. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Asherah. Judges 4-1, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges 6-1, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges 10-6, then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges 13-1, now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> How did they keep doing this? Judges 3-7, they forgot the Lord. Why did God tell us to come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise? To remind us who he is. Not to remind us. We're not thankful because look at my life. Look how great this is. We're thankful because it reminds us what God has done for us. We cannot afford to live in such a way that we forget the Lord. And I'm telling you, the best way we can do that is to stay in this, and to stay connected to one another. What did Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? So I wanted to highlight these things. If you're taking notes, I love you to write these down. And I challenge you this week, respond and reflection. Micah, you guys can... Uh, I do where he's at. You guys can back up. We need to walk in the ways of the Lord and not culture. We need to take delight in His Word. We need to meditate on it day and night. We need to dedicate ourselves to living this walk out with one another. And I want to read Psalms chapter 1 one more time because this is what I believe God has called us to. Looking at the tragedy of Samson, of Gideon, of Deborah, and of the entire people of Israel, I want to remind us who Christian Life Fellowship is called to be. Here, and who each of us as believers is called to be. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law he meditates on day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. You Skip down to verse 6. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Guys, as we read this tragedy of judges, I pray that our hearts are challenged and convicted to understand we can't forget about the Lord. It is so easy to get to a certain place in our walk with God that we feel like we've got it. We've, we feel like we can handle that. I can be around those people. I can handle this relationship. I can handle this job. I can handle being around these people. I don't need devotion this morning. I'll try to get it at the end of the day. And all these little steps are leading us down a path that will bring us to destruction because we've forgotten that we are where we're at because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has reached down, who has saved us, who has illuminated Jesus Christ in our minds and our hearts through His Word. Tragedies can be very useful when we can learn from them. And I pray that I pray that we remember that no matter how bad our lives look today, no matter how bad our weeks have been, no matter how bad we've screwed up, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how far we've run, there is still a God who is waiting to save us. And there is a God waiting for us to be sent to save others. That's why we're here. We're not here to gather riches. It's not about the person who dies with the most wins. This world needs us, guys. When I look at the news, all I see is the American tragedy. I see a people who have forgotten God. And it challenges me, am I going to be a Gideon that's hiding in a back corner of a lot, just trying to survive? Or am I going to be the man that God has called to be a light and darkness in this world and bring hope to the nations? One of the things the angel says to Gideon, he said, I'm going to use one man, one man to bring salvation to these people, one man. Gideon is case in point. One man can bring salvation to the entire people of Israel. Don't ever discount your life that you can't make an impact for God's kingdom. Dear Heavenly Father, God I worship you. God I thank you for who you are. God I pray that you will be our King. God, in those days where Israel had no king, each and every person did what was right in their own eyes. And too many times, God, we do what was right in our own eyes because we don't have a king that we serve and that rules over us. God, I pray that we awaken to you, that you will be our king, that you will be our provider, that you will be the one we serve, the one that leads, the one that guides, the one that protects God, open our eyes and open our hearts, Father. God, you've called us to be light in the dark world, to be a city on a hill. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for your word. May we be people known as people of your word.